Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight we want to study and we want to look in Daniel chapter 7. We're going to look in a, a middle section of Daniel chapter 7. If you turn there, I'll just read verses 9 through 14 here in just a, a little bit. And we're going to see an interesting part of the vision. So we're in the part of the book of Daniel where it's visions and visions and visions. And they are weird, to say the least, you know. And this particular one is a dream. It's a dream, but it's a vision. And it's just plain uh, weird um, at first, the first part. And then we have an interesting scene. And I don't know if all of you have read the books, and there's, pro there's videos out there and the like of people who have said that they've had near-death experiences and they've had glimpses of heaven or glimpses of hell or whatever. Those have become very popular uh, as of late, and, and people make it popular because we want to know what's kind of, we want to know the unknowable is really what it uh, boils down to. And so I just want uh, uh, to give a word of caution about those kind of claims. Uh, whether or not they're true, I don't know, but we can't rely on, on those accounts to shape what we believe. We don't find um, our comfort there. We do find our comfort in Christ. We do find our comfort in going to heaven. But, you know, the, the experiences that are given by these people, oh, I saw heaven and I saw this and Jesus did this and that and the other thing. We've got to be careful about that. They're very subjective. And I, I believe it's possible for the enemy to give false visions. There's only one place to find the truth about heaven and hell and the afterlife and what God does and what, what's happening in heaven. And that's in Scripture. That's the only reliable source of any information that we have about heaven and hell, the afterlife, what happens after people die. Of course, the problem is that the visions of heaven and hell are very uh, minuscule. There isn't a whole lot of them. There doesn't seem to be a lot of detail given about heaven or hell. Not that you want a lot of detail about hell. But, you know, even heaven, there isn't a whole lot of detail that there's given. And there might be a reason for that. The, the reason being that our human limitations on this earth can't really handle what heaven really is, is like. I mean, it's just impossible for us to take that, take that in. And, and so we have these human limitations while we're in this earth. We can't handle more than what's given. God has revealed what he has revealed for a reason, and it does give us hope. And it does comfort us in times of uh, distress. And we live by faith based on what uh, Scripture uh, gives. Even if he doesn't give us, even if God doesn't give us like all the details that we'd like. I mean, I know we'd all like more details about heaven. But, um, you know, so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can take comfort in the fact that there are glories in heaven. And that heaven is so wonderful, it's beyond human words. Uh, human words are, are, are uh, very limited. Of course, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are warned about the terrors of hell. And again, the horrors of hell are, are worse than what human beings can begin to imagine. And, and so, again, why the limited information? We can't handle that. 
But thankfully, every once in a while, there is a vision given to a prophet that, that gives us a brief glimpse into the workings of heaven. And Daniel chapter 7 has such a vision. Now the vision began at the beginning of the chapter. It began on earth. And there was this great sea, which may have been the Mediterranean Sea, representing, you know, what's happening around Israel. But the sea was made turbulent by the four winds, the four directed winds, north, south, east, west. And out of this turbulent sea, there came out four creatures, beasts, monsters, if you want to call them. They arise from the water, one right after another, and these beasts represent kingdoms that would be present, that were present in Daniel's day and would come in the future. Uh, and it has to do with, you know, what's going to happen with Israel mostly, but then beyond. And so there were these four beasts. The first beast looked like a lion with eagle's wings, and it represented Babylon that was in power at the time of this vision. Then a second beast came out, and it looked like a bear, and it looked like it was eating these three ribs. And this bear represented the Medo-Persian Empire. The third beast looked like a leopard with four wings and four heads, heads and it represented the Greco-Macedonian Empire. And the fourth beast, it didn't look anything like any animal that's on the earth. Nothing that man has seen. It was massive. It was terrifying. It just kind of crushed and ate up everything in its path. And that represented the Roman Empire. On the head of the fourth beast were ten horns, and a little horn came, plucked out three of those uh, other horns by the roots. But these beasts represented the powers that be, or that would be, in the ancient Near East, and what specifically would affect the land of Israel. Israel would be under the dominion of all four of those beasts at some point. So, that is just a plain weird dream. We've all had weird dreams. That was a weird dream. It was a nightmare. But then, the scene changes. The vision changes. And Daniel is given a glimpse of what is going on in heaven during that time. God is not just kind of sitting back, passively looking at what's going on on the earth. He's not just looking down and saying, oh man, that's awful what's going on down there, but you know, and not doing anything about it. Um, God is on his throne, and he is executing his plan that he already had in place in eternity, before the foundations of the earth were even, were even placed. But what this vision specifically addresses is that while all these kingdoms, all these beasts, all these nations, whatever, on earth, they come and they go. God is in heaven, and he was preparing a kingdom for himself, a kingdom amongst mankind. And so here is a glimpse of some of the goings-on in heaven, how it affected Israel, how it affects us, and how it affects the future. And so I want to read verses 9 uh, through 14 uh, of Daniel chapter 7. And this is what Daniel wrote about his experience. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. 
A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked, then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What a vision. So let's consider some of the details of this part of... Um, the, the vision. And again, we remember this is a continuation of the first part of the vision. And, and so, you know, it goes from the four beasts rising out of that turbulent sea to now in heaven. And in heaven, we see the Ancient of Days. Um, we see the Ancient of Days sitting on a, a throne. And, you know, this, this is God the Father. This is the heavenly King. In the ancient Near East, it was the kings, it was the royalty and their court that would make important decisions, that would make judgments. The king would sit on his throne. He would hand down a verdict. And so here is the ancient of days handing down a verdict. Now, you know, you read the description of the throne. It sounds a little bit weird because it says the throne has wheels, but the kings in the ancient Near East, they, they, they had chariots that were thrones. There was a throne on a chariot, in a chariot. Anyway, it was all kind of one thing, so that they would travel like that, and then they would sit on the throne and make judgment from that chariot throne. And court is being held. It's court time. It's time for law and order, so to speak. The king is sitting in judgment, but it's not just any ordinary courtroom. It's not just any ordinary throne room. This is not some ordinary monarch. This is not some ordinary judge sitting on the bench. This is a glimpse of God the Father sitting in the midst of the heavenly court, surrounded by his heavenly council, passing judgment. He is passing judgment. He is sitting there with his heavenly council. They are working to pass judgment because God is sovereign over everything that is going on on the earth. He alone reigns. He alone passes judgment. He knows these beasts are rising up, but he also judges these beasts because of their wickedness. And, and so the description of what is going on in this vision is so telling of who God is and what, what God does. I mean, just the fact that he is called the Ancient of Days. It's just a, a human way of saying that God is so ancient. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He has always existed. It, it's hard for humanity to grasp the nature of God, and it's really hard for us to grasp this idea of God being eternal because we are anything but eternal. 
how God, how's God timeless? How is it that he always existed? How is it that uh, he has no beginning and he has no ending? Because he's God. And that's all we know. And so it, human words just fail. Just like it, they fail to describe heaven, just like they fail to describe hell, they fail on how to describe God, the Father, because he is a being who has existed before there was even something called time. And so he is called the Ancient of Days. God is described in Job 36, 26 this way, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The numbers of his years is unsearchable. I mean, how, how do you describe someone whose years are unsearchable? Because he technically doesn't have years. He's the ancient of days. The way that God depicts himself in this vision, in Daniel, interestingly enough, is the same way that Jesus is described in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. There, John says of Jesus, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And so there is no denying the, de denying the deity of Christ since the description of him was borrowed from Daniel, as much of Revelation was. And so the Ancient of Days, he has garments that are white as snow, depicting his purity, his holiness, his grandeur. He has hair that is pure wool, that depicts his old age, I suppose, but the wisdom of many days. It's talking about God's eternal wisdom the wisdom of the one true god the chariot throne that he sat upon was a fiery flame fire is often associated with the presence of god like uh when when god appeared to moses in the burning bush i mean he appeared like a fire that wasn't consuming the bush but fire is also a symbol of judgment and wrath and so here is the perfect judge sitting in court he's going to hand down the perfect verdict upon the affairs of man specifically the governments of mankind as it's depicted by those beasts. And so the eternal king who judges all the earth, it's also shown that he is served by an innumerable number of angels, heavenly beings. It's interesting that in, in the Hebrew language, 10,000 was the largest number that they had a word for. And so to say that, that there were these beings, these angels, that were serving God, there was 10,000 times 10,000, it's not a literal thing where you do the math and say, oh, 10,000 times 10,000, that's, I can't do math quickly. So whatever 10,000 times 10,000 is, 10 million, 100 million, I don't know, millions. No, that's, it's, that's not the point. I mean, that, that number isn't the point. It's saying there's just this innumerable number of heavenly beings that are there to do his bidding. And it's interesting to specifically carry out his judgment. These beings are part of helping God, or serving God, I guess would be the better word, in carrying out the sentences upon the wicked nations and the wicked people of those wicked nations. We see this depicted throughout Scripture where God uses his angels to carry out his judgments. For example, in Genesis 19.13, it was angels... It was these heavenly beings that were in the guise of humanity that said to Lot and his family, hey, we are about to destroy this place. 
because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. It was the angels that did the destroying. In Isaiah 27, 36, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And in 1 Chronicles 21, 15, God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. Um, Matthew 16, 27, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and they're going to repay to each person according to what he has done. Jude, verses 14 and 15, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones, ten thousands, and again, you know, that just means a myriad of these heavenly beings to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And so God has this innumerable number of angels, heavenly servants that are ready to do his bidding at his word. They're waiting for God to call out judgment. Whatever the eternal judge decides to do upon mankind. It says that in front of the judge, the books were opened. Of course, we know about the books of the book of life, that for those who have believed in Jesus Christ, uh, they have a place in heaven, they have a citizenship in heaven. Those whose names are not in the book of life, yeah, you're not going to spend eternity with heaven. Those in the book, you will. Those not, you won't. But there's another book, and I'll call it the book of deeds, because the final judgment, and really, I mean, the judgment, any judgment comes from this book because everyone's words and, and attitudes and actions on earth are going to be judged. And for believers, it'll be for reward. For unbelievers, it'll be for punishment, but you're going to be judged. In Daniel, you know, this book we could say is the deeds of the nations, the deeds of the beasts. And these beasts, these nations, they are found wanting and they're going to be destroyed. Now the focus of the judgment is on the fourth beast and it later in the chapter it talks a little bit more about this fourth beast but you know it's the beast that had 10 horns on its head it had a little horn that had a big mouth the roman empire um you know it's possible it's talking about the roman empire being being judged because the caesar spoke boastfully about being a god being a deity uh the little horn might be nero the little horn might be domitian the little horn if it's talking about the end times it could mean the antichrist and those who are like the roman caesars who claim great things for themselves boy that doesn't sound like modern day politicians after they came out of my mouth i don't know what does boy they claim great things about themselves and they talk big and they got a big mouth Mm-hmm. yeah washington dc thank you um that they definitely do but at the same time the other that beast it will be eventually destroyed. But still, you know, there's remnants of the other beasts that are still around because they were all absorbed. You know, one empire absorbed the other empire. And then after the, if it's about, you know, the Roman Empire eventually falling apart, which it did, you know, the Roman Empire fell apart from the inside out. It's not like they, they it, it wasn't just that, you know, the, the Vangals and whoever, you know, they came in and destroyed the, the Roman Empire. I mean, the Roman Empire was decaying inside out. Again, sounds familiar. But they, you know, 
it was going to be destroyed, and then the people were just dis- dispersed and from all these uh, different empires. But the point that is being made is that human governments are short-lived. And because of the injustice and wickedness by which they are ruled, they come under the judgment of the Ancient of Days. But whereas human governments are temporary, there is going to be a ruler who would be given a kingdom by the Father. And this kingdom will last forever. Because now, in the same heavenly throne room scene, one enters the room who is described as being like a son of man. That means that he's human. But at the same time, he's not merely human because it describes him as coming in the clouds of heaven. And so that doesn't sound like a whole lot because, you know, when we picture heaven, we picture just a bunch of clouds. For some reason, we think heaven is like clouds everywhere. You're going to sit on a cloud and play a harp and blah. That, no, that's not heaven. Heaven isn't just a bunch of clouds. They're, they're in the ancient Near East, the depiction of riding on the clouds was the way that God's word depicted. They, the religions of the day said that their gods rode the storm clouds, they, they came in clouds and things like that. In fact, the Canaanite god Baal was often described as coming in the clouds. So to offset that, to kind of steal the imagery, when you read in Isaiah, when you read in the book of Psalms, and it talks about God the Father coming in the clouds, it's stealing that imagery. This is, that's God's way of saying, yeah, Baal, yeah, he, he's not a real God. He has no power. God the Father, God is God. There is none like him. So he would use that epitaph for himself. For example, in Deuteronomy 33, 26, there is none like God, O Jeshurun, another word for, for Judea, for Israel, who rides through the heavens to your help through the clouds in his majesty. But now, here in Daniel, there is depicted one who is a son of man, but he's the one riding on the clouds, which is a picture of deity. Here is one who is a man, but here is one who is God. And there's only one man to ever existed like that. That is Jesus Christ. We are seeing a depiction of the heavenly coronation of Jesus Christ being the king of God's, king, God's kingdom. A kingdom that will last for all of eternity. A kingdom that came into being with his first coming when he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning, you know, that's the way the English translates it, but it's like the kingdom of heaven is here. And he could point to himself. The kingdom of heaven is here in him. He ushered in the kingdom of God. And so he would use these words, if you want to call them epitaphs, to describe himself, right? You read the Gospels, what is the title that Jesus gives himself the most? Son of Man. There's a double entendre there that when he uses that, I mean, yeah, he's pointing out that he is fully human, completely human. But then at the same time, he's pointing back at Daniel 7, and, you know, in a way of saying, you know, when he says the Son of Man, He's saying, by the way, look back at Daniel 7, because that's me. He is the son of man. 
described here in Daniel. But what's interesting is you can find Jesus describing himself as riding on the clouds, which means that is his claim to deity. You know, when we read that, because we are so Western, as opposed to, you know, Hebrew, we, we don't think like Hebrews. We think like Westerners. And so we read, Jesus is riding on the clouds. We literally think Jesus is riding on the clouds. I mean, we think, it, you know, he, here he comes. I mean, you know, he might come in clouds. I mean, I don't know. Although Revelation says he's coming on a horse. It might be a horse on a cloud. I don't know. But when it's saying that he's coming on the clouds, it's a reference to him being God the Son. And when he used that description... Here's the thing, when he used that description, the Jews knew exactly what he was claiming. You know, we read that and we're like, okay, he's coming on clouds, who cares? When the Jews heard him say that he was coming on the clouds, they knew he was claiming to be God. You know, for example, I'll read a long passage, you, you can read along, I guess, if you want, in Matthew chapter 26, but verses 57 to 68, we, we read that as Westerners. Here's, the, here's well, another courtroom scene, funny enough, where Jesus now is on trial in front of the Jewish religious leadership. And Jesus says something that to us seems very nonchalant. But the Jewish leaders, I mean, they just go nuts. Why do they go nuts? Well, let me read the passage. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And by the way, if you don't know that he's talking about himself, right? He's not talking about the... Because he is the temple. What is, what is the temple? The temple is where the presence of God is. And Jesus says, temple, hello, I'm the temple, and you're going to destroy this temple, and it's going to raise up in three days. Anyway, again, they didn't, they didn't necessarily understand that. That one went kind of over their heads. And then the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? I mean, what is these... What is that that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, you have said so. Listen to this. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. I mean, that doesn't sound like that big of a deal. All right, he's riding on some clouds, but listen to what happened. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. And they spit on him and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? I mean, holy cow. Well, since I said cow, I mean, it's like the high priest had a cow because he just goes nuts. All Jesus said was he was riding on, he's going to be coming on the clouds, and all of a sudden the high priest goes nuts. Why? Because he knew exactly what Jesus was saying. 
what Jesus was claiming. By saying that he was the Son of Man who would come on the clouds, he was telling them, yeah, Daniel 7. Jesus Christ is that Son of Man. And so you better believe this passage is talking about Jesus Christ. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And he has been given a kingdom that transcends all current national identities. It, it talks about the fact that everyone from all these different nations and peoples and whatever would come under this nation. He has been given dominion and glory and, and a kingdom where all nations and languages are going to serve him. Because now, as the gospel goes forth, people are getting saved in all nations and peoples and languages. His kingdom is everlasting. And man, I'm preaching so hard, my watch said, my watch said, man, this watch has been going off a lot lately. I started talking and awesome. I, didn't, I don't think I said, hey Siri, but Jesus is the son of man. And so now the kingdom of Christ came during the fourth beast, the Roman Empire. It has been set up, it has been expanding like the vision in chapter 2 where the stone not cut out by hands destroys the statue of kingdoms and it grows throughout the earth. So now Christ's kingdom is expanding and will continue to do so until he returns. And what this means for us is that no matter how good or wicked we think that a human government is, it is temporary. And it is going to disappear someday, even the United States. We do not live our lives for the current world and nations. We need to take an eternal kingdom view of life. Our perspective and worldview should not solely focus on the here and now, but on the things of eternity. Why? Well, first, because Jesus desires us to live by that perspective, and he deserves for us to live by that perspective. But secondly, because we're going to spend a whole lot more time in eternity than we are on this earth. And so we ought to invest ourselves in where we're going to be spending the most time. And so, Christian, you've got to consider, are you living for that kingdom or are you living for this kingdom more? Are you living for eternity or are you living for the here and now? Where are your loyalties? Where are your investments? But another question to ask is, are you even in the kingdom of Christ? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ alone to pay the penalty for your sins? If you haven't trusted in Christ the only identity you have is in the here and now. And the kingdom you're actually under, even though you're, you, know, you might be in the United States, or if for some reason someone's listening in another country, you're in that kingdom, you're under actually the kingdom of Satan. You're in the kingdom of darkness. Yeah, there's 200 and some odd nations in this world, but really there's only two kingdoms. You're either in the kingdom of light of Jesus Christ, you're in the kingdom of darkness of Satan. You're under the rule of one or the other. You're either under the rule of King Jesus, or you're under the rule of, I'm not going to call him that, but little Satan. So which kingdom are you in? You don't want to be under Satan's kingdom. Come to the light, come to Jesus Christ, and believe upon him. And be part of his kingdom that it says will never fade away, will never be destroyed. His kingdom is everlasting. All other kingdoms will fall. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. 
For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.